0: Matthew 5, please, Matthew 5, and also in your uh, bulletins, they are under the section called Sermon Notes, there's an outline for today that will maybe help you as, um, <clears throat> as you follow along, Matthew 5, verses 20, we're going to read two uh, powerful, uh, profound verses good news according to Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. The words of Jesus on the, uh, the mount overlooking the Sea of Galilee, he says, You've heard it said that you shall, not com- you shall not commit adultery. And at that point, the crowd that had gathered must have nodded to each other. Yes, we, we understand that. But then he said, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I wonder if there was a gasp at that point. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is the third week in our series, The Seven Deadly Sins. Pride, envy, anger, sloth, gluttony, greed, and lust for over 1,500 years. Christian thinkers have, have believed that these root fundamental sins, these, these root transgressions have been the sins out of which all other sins arise. Almost 1,700 years ago, the first Christian thinkers began to run that around the room. Are these the the roots? Are these the fundamentals? Are these the the ones out of which everything else arises? Today we come to um, an uncomfortable topic, and let me just go ahead and acknowledge I'm more uncomfortable than anybody in this room talking about uh, lust. Lust is the tarnishing. Uh, The defilement, the misuse, the tarnishing, the the defilement, the misuse of one of God's most beautiful gifts, uh, the gift of love and the the intimate expression of that love within the covenant of marriage. Today we're going to talk about three uh, subtopics that often arise and should arise when we talk about lust. We're going to talk about perpetual peering, and we're going to talk about pornography, and we'll talk about promiscuity. First, perpetual peering, you know, uh, gawking and gazing, lingering and looking. You may have heard it said that, um, that temptation is when a man is driving down the street, and he sees a woman uh, on the side of the road, and and she's in sort of, you know, revealing, revealing clothes. Well, that's temptation. Mm. Lust is when he drives around the block and comes back for another look. That's the difference between temptation and lust. James Bryan Smith talks about that in the book that some of you are reading, The Good and Beautiful Life. He Notes the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. If a man looks at a woman lustfully in his heart, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. Looks at a woman lustfully, he has committed adultery in his heart. And James Bryan Smith notes that the word translated lust there is the Greek word epithumai. And he says this Epithumai is not referring to the first look, but to the second. The first look may be simple attraction. But the second look is leering, which reminds me of the two sisters who lived where I grew up, near where I grew up. Now, I'm going to be careful not to mention their names because if, if by chance they live in North Alabama and were to know that I told this story, I'd be terribly embarrassed. So I'm going to try real hard not to mention their names. I'll just call them the two sisters. This time I'm thinking about I was, uh, I was maybe 10 years old. And uh, these two sisters lived over the hill, which was the land shrouded with great mystery for me. I lived on the side of a hill, and you could I could come out my driveway and turn right and go down the hill, and that was fine. Mom knew where I would be. That's where the friends lived. She could walk out there and look down the hill and see me. But over the hill was, was the land of Mystery. I rarely got to go over the hill. <clears throat> over the hill, it was um, <clears throat> every once in a while I'd go. There was a there was a um, a convenience store uh, on the other side of the over the hill, and so sometimes I'd get to ride my bicycle that way. But almost never did I go over the hill. Well, there were these two sisters that lived over the hill, and they were well, they were captivating. <clears throat> for a number of reasons. Number one, they were older. They were teenagers, which to us seemed like women of the world. Second, they were pretty. I couldn't tell you really now what they looked like, but Rodney and Greg and Mike and I, our grand our gang of four, had decided that they were model gorgeous. And as I said, they lived over the hills. So there was some mystery to these two sisters. One day, I must have been headed to the uh, convenience store. I don't remember why I was going. But I was on my bicycle. And um, I, as I approached the, the house where the sisters lived, they were working on their tans, the two sisters. And my brain forgot that I was riding a bicycle. You know, I, I ogled, I I gazed, I glared, I gawked, and uh, I was suddenly brought back to reality when my, the tire of my bicycle hit the curb uh, alongside the road. I was no longer headed this way with the street. Somehow I had gotten crossways and my tire hit the curb just like that. And I didn't fall, but I did come to a sudden and very awkward stop. And I remember acting like I had intended to stop right there uh, to check on on something. I was was horrified. And I, well, I pulled away terribly embarrassed. Now, here's my point. The, The problem was not in seeing those sizzling sisters sunbathing in their swimsuits. That was not the problem. I could not help but see those sizzling sisters sunbathing in their swimsuits. The problem was when I, I began to ogle and gawk and gaze and leer and, and nearly had a wreck. Now that's kind of cute for a 10-year-old. It ain't cute when we're older. And our gazing and our gawking crosses a, a line. It is sin. It is, it's not just a little thing. It's a deadly sin. It is, in fact, Jesus said, it is a you have already committed adultery in your heart kind of sin. So, guys, bounce your eyes. Ladies, as much as, as, it, as it might be a problem for you, remember uh, that, that that long, inappropriate look is, is not just inappropriate. It is a deadly sin. Those two sisters, remember I said they were they were pretty and they were over the hill. Well, that was, all, that was a little over 50 years ago. Uh, for almost 40 years, remember that I was captivated with those two sisters. I've been captivated with only one woman, and her name is Carrie. And just like those sisters, she is pretty and she's over... She's mysterious, <laughs> just, like those two, just like those two sisters, the perpetual uh, peering. Second, pornography. There is, no, there is no sin more common to the sin of lust than the sin of pornography. And pornography is not merely the sin of weirdos and perverts. Pornography is often the sin of, of decent folks. Guys, usually, but not exclusively. Decent folks that work hard and volunteer in the community and love their families. And, and often it is the sin of people who go to church. Candidly, if we are a a, a, a typical gathering of believers in the room and And watching from the outside, we're a typical gathering of believers and there are a number of us uh, who have a secret, a secret that would be revealed if someone were to uh, check our browser history uh, on our computers, a secret that would be revealed if someone were to check the the receipts uh, from the movies rented in distant hotel rooms on business trips. It is not merely the sin of weirdos and perverts. But it is sin. The word pornography comes from c- combining two Greek words, porne, porne and graphene. Porne means prostitute, and graphene means to write or to draw, as in graphic, like graphic design. So pornography is the is the prostituting, the adulterating, the cheapening of the human body and, the, and God's gift of sexuality. Now, that's enough in itself to be wrong, but, it's, but there's more. My understanding is that a lot of the ladies in particular in particular, who appear either in videos or in print, uh, in pornography, are victims of, self, uh, of sex trafficking. So to, uh, to fund or, or to perpetuate the industry of pornography is, is in essence, to help perpetuate uh, the industry of sex trafficking. Beyond that, if you are married, then, then pornography is a violation uh, of your commitment to your spouse because you're… you're ha- even if it's just an artificial image, and even if you have, would never meet that person, there are… you're having thoughts and feelings about… Someone, you're having thoughts and feelings that should be reserved for your, for your spouse. Job 31 verse 1 says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Would you make that covenant? If the internet is a problem for you, there's help. There's, there are programs like Covenant Eyes that comes from Job 31 1. Covenant Eyes software that you can install that will, will prevent you from going to the pornographic sites and will alert your accountability partners if you do. So you sign these other folks up. You say, look, I, I'm, I've got a problem, and, and I'm, I'm struggling with that, but I want to overcome that by God's help and by, with your help. And so would you, would you be one of my partners? So they get a notice uh, if, you, if you try. It will be a battle, but it is possible there's no shortcut other than there is no shortcut it 's simply a matter of of self control. but you can do that the internet is so easy, but you can do that, or maybe it 's movies. so you can make a, a decision now, a covenant with your eyes that if you 're looking for movies whether it 's on Showtime or primetime or Hulu or Zulu or wherever you get your movies. You can say, if, I, if it says sexual content, then I simply will, will look for another movie. But you have to decide that now. You have to decide that now and before you're in the moment to make a covenant with my eyes that I will not look lustfully at a girl. You can decide that from this day on you will be pure mentally, physically, and visually. Pure. Pornography. Next, promiscuity. By that, I mean a sexual relationship before or outside of marriage. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 reads, flee from sexual immorality. By the way, I've never known it to be this quiet in this room. This is the quietest I've ever, I've ever heard. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. In other words, don't put yourself in tempting situations. We are all vulnerable. Let's admit it. We all are vulnerable. I remember where I was down in Anniston when uh, I was riding along with our youth minister, and uh, we were talking about a couple who'd made a bad choice, and there was a consequence to their choice, and I said, I would never do that, and he nearly ran off the road. And he warned me. I've never forgotten. He he warned me, don't ever think you are above anything. And he was right. We all are vulnerable, and we have to decide before we get in in those difficult situations. We have to to decide on boundaries. Years ago, I was um, asked to help chaperone a a high school dance. The lady that was organizing it taught at the high school, and um, so she enlisted Carrie and me to come be chaperones. I thought maybe I'd stand at the door and hand out name tags or something, but we got in the lobby. The dance was in another room, and the lady who was organizing it um, was handing out assignments. And she said, Travis, I, and I'm not exaggerating, she said, Travis, I want you to stand by the dance floor and make sure they don't dance too close or too vulgar. I said, are you kidding me? Nope, that's what I want you to do. So I stood by the dance floor and watched for about five minutes, and I went back to her and I said, I quit. (laughs) I said, have you seen the way they're dancing in there? Now let me be real quick to say, I'm not anti-dancing. Some preachers will say a praying knee and a dancing foot cannot grow on the same leg. That's not me. I'm not saying that. I'm not very good at it. But I like to dance. I will be at the father-daughter dance. I'm not against dancing. I'm not a prude. I'm not a stick in the mud. I'm not a fuddy-duddy. I think of myself as quite hip. In fact, I'm the grooviest 62-year-old I know. But, but that night, I, <laughs> I guarantee you, that by the end of that night, their hormones were raging, their engines were at full throttle, and their libidos were in overdrive. And so I guarantee you that later that night, there were good guys and gals who made hard decisions and some who made bad decisions because they put themselves in a situation in which the temptation was almost overwhelming. It's not just true of teenagers. It's true of all of us. You have to decide beforehand. I've told you before that Carrie and I, early in our marriage, set boundaries because we know that we are human. And you have to decide beforehand. You have to decide that you won't let your want to and your get to occur at the same time. Let me say that again. You have to decide to not put yourself in the situation where your want to and your get to appear at the same time. Your want to, you have little to do with. That's a natural desire. Your get to is what you control, the, the opportunities, the opportunities to act on our desires. That's what we can control. That's where we set the boundaries. And that's where we don't put ourselves in those situations. So if you are not married, you have to understand your vulnerability and you have to know there are situations I just can't be in because if I get in those situations, the temptation will become overwhelming and the ability to say no is significantly minimized. If you are married, then don't flirt So many affairs have begun with innocent flirtations. And don't be alone in situations with people who are not your spouse, where your want to and your get to might occur at the same time. We simply have to establish, flee from all sexual immorality, means get away from there. Don't be in the situation because we are all vulnerable the perpetual peering, there's pornography, and there is promiscuity, but that's all bad news. There is really, really good news. I want to talk now about passion and promise-keeping. Sexuality is a beautiful gift from God Himself, but it is a gift with boundaries. Sexuality is a beautiful gift from God Himself, but it is a gift with boundaries. Boundaries established not by a killjoy or a spoil sport, but by a loving heavenly Father who knows that passion can only reach its potential within a covenant relationship. A man and a woman who have pledged to themselves before God, I will forsake all others and keep myself only for you. And you will not have to worry about that as long as we both shall live. I want to say all that again. Sexuality is nothing to be ashamed of or to be afraid of. Sexuality is a beautiful gift from God Himself, but it is a gift with boundaries. Boundaries established not by a spoiled sport or a killjoy, but by a loving Heavenly Father who knows that passion can reach its potential only in a covenant relationship, a man and woman who've said, I will forsake all others and keep myself only for you so long as we both shall live. Our grandson Jansen, Jensen, our grandson, my doctor's name is Jansen. I get him confused all the time. Jensen, our grandson. Maybe I'll get a discount on my knee replacement now that I've named his name come to think of. Jensen, our, son, our grandson has more toys at our house than Santa has at the North Pole. I mean toys, toys for boys, toys that make noise, toys he enjoys, wonderful toys. The crazy thing is how often he will crawl past and leave behind all those wonderful toys just for him and and crawl as quickly as he can to something that he ought not be doing. He will crawl past these toys that, they're, you know, they're brightly colored and they move and they talk to you and all that. He'll crawl right past them to a, a cord attached to a, a lamp where he could die by either electrocution or concussion, e- either one. <laughs> he'll go right past those toys and leave them behind. He'll go right, he will crawl past those toys and leave behind toys and he'll go to the the, the, the drawers, where he'll pull out the drawers and then close them and mash his hand and cry. Until yesterday, we got these little thingies that lock them up, so he can't, he can't do that anymore. But he'd crawl right past those toys to a place where he would get hurt, crawl right back to it. He will crawl as fast as he can past all those toys to get to our dog Gracie's bowls, her water bowl and her food bowl. And he'll If you don't get there first, he'll splash, and I'm quite sure he's eaten a good bit of Gracie's dog food. (laughs) Now, you think, why would a brilliant, advanced, nine-month-old like that (laughs) crawl past all those wonderful things just for him and, and go do something that ain't good for him? It's a story as old as Eden. It's almost—that's almost—it's human nature. Sinful people in a fallen world to crawl past and leave behind that which is just for us, and go through things that we ought not do. That hurt us, and hurt people around us. If you're married please don't crawl past and leave behind the beauty of your covenant relationship. But Travis, that passion you talked about a minute ago, that's that's long since past our our marriage. No longer there. Well, remember, the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where it is watered. So water it. Nurture the, the romance, the passion in your in your marriage don't go by don't crawl past and leave behind that which is beautiful and wonderful in order to to try to fill some kind of emptiness or whatever motivation there is and get involved in something that you ought not be involved in remember Yuli Grant, he's the guy at the beginning, I talked about him, he was a did I, talk, did I tell that story at the beginning about the hardware store? Well, shoot, let me tell that. That's a good one. So, let's just back. Th- I'll do the whole sermon over. No, let me just start. with. Let me, let me tell that. So, Uly Grant, in the book Home to Harmony, which is a great series, the Harmony series, Philip Gully series. In, in the book Home to Harmony, Yule Grant works at the hardware store, and he's got a drinking problem. They are not related, but he works at the hardware store, and he's got a drinking problem. But at the church house, they had this meeting where he had a dramatic conversion experience. He, he was saved in our tradition, we would say that. And the first thing he did was march over to the hardware with the conviction of newfound faith. He marched over to the hardware store, and he tore down the calendar, the Miss Hardware Calendar. You know what I'm talking about? You know, the calendars with scantily clad uh, ladies on them. You guys are not going to say you would not. If, if you did know what I was talking about, you would not. I, but, you know, you might have seen them, you know, in, in mechanic shops and all that. He, 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 nobody had to tell him. He just knew that it wouldn't be right for a Christian to have Miss Hardware calendar above his desk. So he went over there and pulled it down. He didn't want to lust now to the next story in that same book Home to Harmony the elders of the little church in the little town are concerned because they saw two teenagers kissing in the parking lot a couple of weeks earlier so they're wondering what are we going to do about this this is their conversation everybody's talking about sex these days except for the church said Frank maybe that's why we're so messed up about sex the people who should be teaching it aren't maybe we ought to teach about sex then they went around the room who's going to do it who's going to do it I'm not going to do it I'll do it no you shouldn't do it and they went around they went around the room until Frank, a 71-year-old widower, agreed. Frank talked with the teens of their church about his love affair with his late wife, how they met, how tempted they'd been, and how they waited until they were married. Then he told them that sex was a gift of love from God, and that's what made it sacred, and how it's our job not to cheapen it. He told them that sex was a gift of love from God, and that's what made it sacred, and how it's our job not to cheapen it. Let's not cheapen such a beautiful gift from our loving Father and Creator. Lust is a terrible counterfeit substitute for the real thing and by the way people smarter than i have observed that people who who engage in inappropriate intimate relationships are looking for something there's something missing there's a, a hollowness there's a an emptiness People smarter than I have observed that people who, who look for love in all the wrong places are looking for God. That that, that, that search for something represents a, an attempt to fill, fill a longing that is deep. And let me tell you, lust will not fulfill that deep longing in your soul the old gospel song is right only Jesus can satisfy your soul and I invite you to him 361 is the hymn that we're going to sing